So I wonder how confident you are this morning in Christianity. If you had to give it a rating out of 10, where would you put it? Now, some of us might be like right up there in the kind of nines and and the tens, and perhaps some others more down in the ones and the twos, really not so sure. I expect most of us will be somewhere around the middle, uh, probably kind of going from one side to to the other. It's a really uh, relevant question for us to consider wherever we're at, because some of us might not yet identify as Christians, and and we're trying to work out of this Jesus stuff is worth a go, and we want to know if it works. Does this fly, or is it just going to kind of fall flat on the ground? And so that's a fair question, and, and, and so, so we might ask it from that perspective. Others of us are Christians, and we're fully invested, and maybe we've never really known anything that different, but lately we've got wondering whether this faith you have is so firm a foundation after all. It started to feel pretty shaky, and, and you've got more questions than you've got answers, and maybe life hasn't panned out how you hoped or expected, and spiritually now you're just feeling pretty jaded and pretty worn out. And so that leads you to think, maybe I'm just not that far off packing it in, or, or maybe I even tried to pack it in but haven't quite managed to yet. This question of of confidence in faith or how certain we can be in Jesus is is a really relevant question for all of us. And and many would say, look, it's nonsense when you're talking about faith to talk about certainty. Because faith, they say, is the opposite of certainty. Faith is what you have when you don't really know something or you can't really be sure about something. You kind of have faith, which is just this kind of blind, stupid thing that that you have. It's like talking about something being hot and cold. They're just opposites. They don't go together. Or others might think, well, this is exactly the problem with religion. You're so arrogant, claiming to know things with certainty that we can't really know with any kind of certainty. But listen, in the end, all of us, whoever we are, end up relying on some core belief, some basic story about the world, about what is true and what isn't, and it informs how we navigate life. And it's worth all of us asking how confident we can be in these things. Where does our confidence ultimately rest? Today, um, as, as George said, we're starting this um, a, a, quite a slow walk through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and this is the life story of Jesus, according to a Greek doctor called Luke from the first century. And it's pretty su- surprising, as, as Kasha read to us, uh, that, that confidence and certainty is where Luke starts his story of Jesus' life. Did you see that? It's not the sort of thing you expect in the Bible, is it? Rather than diving straight into the action of of everything that's happening, uh, Luke gives us this little introduction that we're looking at this week in his first uh, four verses, and he explains what he's written, how he's gone about it, and why he's done it. Now, if you look down down at those verses, it's captured in three key words um, for our our sermon uh, today. And and the what is in verse one. It's the word fulfilled. That's what he's written fulfilled. I'll I'll explain this more in a moment. The how is in verse 3. He he talks about an orderly account. It's two words here, but it's one word for him. And and the third thing, the why, verse 4, is for certainty. Fulfilled an orderly account for certainty. The what and the how and the why. Now Luke is writing about 2,000 years ago, and he's giving us something in his account of Jesus' life that he claims we can know with certainty and so with confidence. That's very on trend at the moment for Christians to doubt everything they've ever heard or they've ever been taught to mistrust everyone and everything, and most of all, someone like me. 
It's very on trend at the moment. And, and listen, some of that is helpful because there is a winnowing out of some of the rubbish in church that needs to be got rid of. But also, often, we end up throwing a baby out with the bathwater. And so the confidence of so many of us in Christ and in his goodness and in his reliability is being massively eroded. And listen, that is not a good thing. That's not a good thing that's happening. So Luke's gospel will give us a dose of certainty of the things that we've been taught about Jesus. And for those of us who are looking in, this is what it does for us. So as, 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 as Luke presents Jesus to us, who he is and what he did, it will constantly put the question before us of how certain and confident you can be that Jesus isn't who he claims to be and can't do what he claims to do. How certain and confident are you that he isn't good for his words? So let, let's, just, let's just work through the what, the how, and the why of Luke's story, and then we're going to explore this for, for a long time to come. The, the what is this, the fulfilled, this big word in verse 1. You know when you get a WhatsApp message, and, um, and, uh, and it's got a link in it, and you press and you hold the link, and it takes you to a web page. So there's that one little word there, and so in one second, you're kind of, you're in WhatsApp reading your messages, and then the next second, you're in this whole new world of, cute cat videos on YouTube or something that you're kind of getting engrossed in or, or this whole new world of this web page of all of this information that this one word has, has connected you to, this information that you, you need to know. Well, listen, that's how the word fulfilled here works in verse 1. Luke, Luke says it's his account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And this one word is full of meaning. We need to, we need to, it's a hyperlinked word. We need to press down and hold down and let it transport us uh, and take us to this whole world that opens up before us, and it's this absolutely massive world. As we press and hold on it, it takes us into this story. It actually takes us to the culmination, the end of the story, because to fulfill something is about doing something that's been promised or expect or hoped for. To fulfill something is to complete or accomplish it. And so the question when you hear fulfill is, well, what has been fulfilled? What's been completed? What's been promised that's now delivered on? What's, well, who's done it? How have they done it? Why? What difference does that make? So that one word just is full, full of this whole, this whole massive amount of meaning. And as you read the rest of Luke's story, it's filled out what, what has been fulfilled by who and how. In brief, it's the promise of God to his people, the Jews, that a saviour would come to rescue them. It's, it's the spirit of God on the move in a new and a powerful way through the man of God to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's that all righteousness is fulfilled. God's perfect and good standards uh, accomplished in a perfect human life, full of flourishing, full of other-centred love, like nobody else has lived in all of history. It's the promise for the way back to restored relationship with God, uh, the God who made us to be opened up to us once more by the death of a sac perfect sacrifice. It's the completion of the very purpose and intention of humanity as a human man ascends up to heaven to stand in the presence of God and represent all of humanity before him for us. This is what it means. That's all included in this one word, fulfilled. Luke is writing the story of these things that have been fulfilled among the people of the Roman Empire in the first century by this guy, Jesus Christ, from Nazareth. Luke's story is the story of events surrounding 
his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And it's this fulfillment of all of these things. Now, this is a story of fulfillment for the Jews, for the people of God, uh, the people that Jesus was born into and he lived amongst, and and he carried their promises and their expectations uh, of the God of all things for them. But actually, it's a story of the whole world. See, Luke is not a Jew. Luke is a guy from a Greek background. But he came to see that the long-promised saviour of the Jews is the saviour of the whole world for all people. And so this story of these things that were fulfilled among Luke and his contemporaries of, uh, at that time is the story that is at the heart of the universe. It is the accomplishment of the purposes of God for the whole world in and through the life and ministry of Jesus. You could say, in Jesus, all things are completed. All things are filled to their fullness, to the absolute brim. So this story that Luke is bringing us into is a story that is bigger than we first think. It puts Jesus at the centre of history. You see, the things that are seriously claimed and believed about Jesus, claimed by himself and by people throughout history, nothing like them is claimed about anyone else in all of history. And so Jesus' influence across Human history is unparalleled uh, from everyone else. He's inspired so much art and so much music and architecture and culture. So many universities and education establishments set up. So many hospitals established. So many charities that are run. So many social projects. So many communities that are gathered around him. And and it's just gone throughout the whole world and across all of history. You think, not bad for a poor carpenter's son from first century Nazareth. It is undeniable that Jesus has had the biggest impact of all people on history. Every time you write the date, you acknowledge that fact. No wonder then that so many in the first century wanted to draw up an account of these things, Luke himself included. You see, Luke is starting to write here something that is so much more than just a history lesson, so much more than religious teachings. This is a message that is living, that is active, that is alive. You know, most people today around us approach Christianity like it's either just a set of religious beliefs that are slightly weird and outdated, and and all you've got to do is just kind of ascribe to them, in which case they see it as this, this dangerous imposition of something on you. Or on the other hand, people just think it's not more than kind of a load of moral vague spiritual teachings that help people feel better about themselves and kind of get through life. And if it it works for you, that's great and that's fine. It's all nice stuff to believe in, but there's no truth, there's no reality, there's there's no power or substance to it. That's what most people think of Christianity. But Christianity is true history of Jesus. There is substance to it, but also it rings true in our souls and has power in our life because it brings us into ultimate reality. It brings us into this whole new way of seeing and living in the world in light of the reality that Jesus has fulfilled the promises of God. Listen, guys, this is absolutely life-changing. I know so many of you know this. If it isn't life-changing for you, then it's quite possible you haven't really got hold of it and you haven't really got hold of him. This is life-changing and it is for everyone. It is for you and it is for all people. Some of us struggle with believing it's for us. You think, I'm an outsider. I'm, I'm not of interest to anyone, let alone God. And, and this couldn't be for me. Luke's gospel is going to be so good for us. Because you know what Luke does? 
He gives us this perspective on the life and ministry of Jesus and his preference and his waiting is always for the outsider. It's always for the last, the least, and the lost. It, it is those in his day and age who are left behind and no one else had any time for. Those who you least expect to get it and to get Jesus. They're the ones who Jesus is interested in hanging out with and spending his time with and talking to. Those are the ones he comes and he befriends and he loves. Those are the ones that he comes and offers life to and those are the ones that he comes to rescue. Luke really puts on a, on, on a pedestal and features highly the poor, the ill, the social outcasts, the children, the women, the non-Jews, these people who in that day were left behind and left on the fringes. And Luke brings them all into Jesus from all over the place. And so he shows us and he reminds us and he tells us today this, this news, this Jesus is, is for, for us if we feel like we're left out, like we're on the edges, like, like we're not of interest to anyone. This, this big, life-transforming news that Luke brings to us is for us. It is for you. It's all about what Jesus has fulfilled for you. So that's, that's a pretty big, big claim to start, isn't it? To, to start your story of, of someone's life. And, and so the question is, is there any substance to it? Which is, which is a fair question. Because lots of people, another thing they'd say about Christianity, I guess you've probably heard it from friends and whatever, is, is that the Bible is a result of Chinese whispers. And so people back in the first century when this stuff happened, they weren't so smart and they weren't into things like evidence or, or whether things were true. And these stories of this guy called Jesus started spreading and, and one person told the next and the story got embellished and changed over time. And hundreds of years later, people decided to write this stuff down, uh, what they'd heard, but... It got quite crazy and mixed up along the way and, and it's a long way from the actual truth and the actual facts of, of what happened. And of course, we're much smarter now. We've got science and planes and stuff like that. So we know better. We know what's written in the Bible is, is you know, it's nice to read, but it's basically a bit silly and a bit stupid and, and it's, it's basically fairy stories. Well, listen, if that's how we got what is written, if that's how what is written in Luke came to be, like hundreds of years, people kind of sharing stories, embellishing them, then... Yeah, it's about as reliable as Cinderella to base your life on, and I wouldn't recommend that. But is that the case? Well, the answer is no, it's not. This is actually reliable and trustworthy as far as ancient history goes. Now, we're going to do, I need to do a little history lesson for a few minutes. It'll bore some of you to death, but I'll tell you when to come back. For some of you, it'll be hopefully helpful. Luke is a Greek doctor. Now, the Greeks are pretty famous for their careful thought, for their... Um, not being taken for a ride. Um, Luke took a, a scientific, if you like, and a methodological, uh, a methodical approach to compiling his history. Doctors are known for their careful investigation and their analysis of things, aren't they? They want evidence. Uh, Luke probably took the same Hippocratic oath that doctors have to take today to, to practice medicine. Uh, and his medical training had taught him to value evidence and cross-examination and careful reflection on facts before coming to conclusions. So, so listen, Luke left no stone unturned in compiling this history of Jesus. He, he had two sources broadly, uh, written accounts that have been drawn up by others that he tells us about here, including probably the Gospel of Mark. And secondly, the spoken evidence of the eyewitnesses who had been there uh, from the beginning and saw and experienced these things firsthand. He, he got his info straight from the horse's mouth, we'd say. What happened was Luke decided to write down this, uh, this account around the middle of the 60s of the first century. Um, I think that's the most likely, maybe the mid-80s at the absolute latest. But it was basically the intersection of the first and the second generation of Jesus' followers. 
So it's about 30 or 40 years since Jesus had died and rose and ascended to heaven. And 30 or 40 years later, you've got all these people who have started following him. And the opposition is starting to ramp up. And people are starting to get killed for following Jesus. And some of the first followers are starting to get old and dying of old age, etc., uh, and those first eyewitnesses are, are dying out. And so Luke, at that point, as it goes from first to second generation, wants to write these things down for future generations to know with confidence the things that were fulfilled by and through Jesus. He doesn't want that truth to get lost as that generation goes. He wants it to stay and stand the test of time. Now, you might think 30 to 40 years after the events happened, that sounds like a long time to write stuff down after things happen. Like, I don't know if I could remember, well, most of us can't remember 30 or 40 years because we, we aren't there yet. But listen, in that day and age, people were much more used to and practiced at remembering key events, tell, sharing them as stories, preserving the truth of them, uh, and, and, uh, and, and kind of, uh, yeah, keeping them accurate and, and true. And so for ancient history like this is to be written within the lifetimes of those who experienced it is incredibly rare. In fact, it's unheard of outside the Bible. 30 to 40 years is a bit like the BBC publishing on their website the story as it's unfolding today in terms of ancient history. It's that current. It's up to date. It's as, it's as good as you can get as the, as the, as the story's unfolding. As Luke wrote these things, there are people still around who are eyewitnesses who could verify the truth of them. So we can be confident that what we read here in Luke's Gospel is what people at the time claimed to see, what they claimed to hear, what they claimed to experience. This is real history. This is accurate. But Luke doesn't just take the eyewitnesses' word for it. Verse 3, do you see, he says he carefully investigated everything from the beginning and wrote an orderly account. He's just drumming it at home how careful he's been. He closely followed the story. He paid attention to the detail. He took all of the care of a forensic approach of a doctor using all of the skills and resources at his disposal. He travelled around. He interviewed people. He cross-examined witnesses who were there from the beginning. He found multiple sources. He checked and cross-checked his facts. He asked questions. He put it together in an orderly account. He reflected on the information he gathered. He put it together, carefully composed it so that the reader could understand the significance of what's going on. It means that Luke hasn't got just a strict chronology. It's not just like this happened, then that happened, that happened. He's put some different stories together at different points so that we can understand the meaning of them. Now, Luke is clearly very interested in getting a careful record of true events. And that tells us this is history that we can rely on, we can trust. He's not writing a list of beliefs that you've just got to unthinkingly sign up to. He's not writing nice platitudes to make you feel better. He's not writing moral principles to live by. He's writing the story of stuff that happened in and around the person of Jesus, the one who fulfilled the promises of God. This is the message. This is the true good news of what has happened in real time and space and history among real people. And as Luke writes this, he says it's for all people like you and me. Listen, there's all kinds of other details that make for a compelling historical record, like the accuracy of the things that are written, the number of documents that we have found and that have been discovered. Um, If you want to research it further, I've got two copies of this book, Can We Trust the Gospels? It's really helpful on these things, written by a a Cambridge scholar who knows his stuff, uh, free for you to take away. So come and grab them for me, or put them on the table at the back. But... um, yeah, there's more info on that. That's the end of the history lesson. Thank you for, for bearing with me. History is my favourite thing at school. I wanted to do it at uni. I was persuaded my parents not to do it, so I need to indulge myself every now and then. All that really matters is this. Here's the one-liner, okay? Luke wants you to know what he writes is reliable. It's reliable. 
is good history. You can trust what you're reading. Luke has done the hard work for us. This is where I want to connect it more deeply into your life. This is where it's really relevant for us today. Because it's one thing to know that this is reliable history. It's one thing to know this is what people at the time claimed to see and hear and experience. But that doesn't answer the million-dollar question. Does this ring true? Does it capture reality? Can I rely on this? Does this make a difference to my life? That's probably the more pertinent question for us today. Luke tells us the purpose he's writing in verse 4. He wants his reader to know, may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. This is why he wrote this down. This is why you have it in your hands. This is why we're going to preach through the gospel of Luke and take our time over it so that you may have certainty and confidence in your faith in Jesus. Listen, guys, this isn't wrong or arrogant to be certain about this. It's not wrong, it's going to grate some of us, it's not wrong for a Man City fan to be certain that they won the league this season because it's a well-documented matter of historical record that they won the league this season. Of course, you can be a total jerk in the way that you hold on to that truth and how you talk about it, can't you? But it's not wrong to be confident about that. That happens. It's not wrong to be certain about it. It's not wrong for us to be confident and certain about what someone else has achieved in history. Now, what Luke writes is actually a two-part story. The first part is called Luke, and it's the record of the life and ministry of Jesus. Part two is called Acts, the book of Acts in our Bible. And that's the, the ministry of Jesus' followers as the church is established, which, is, which happened as Luke was around and, and lived that stuff out. And you see that Luke has written this two-part story uh, for this uh, guy, the most excellent Theophilus. Probably this wealthy Greek guy who has, uh, he's got this kind of position in Greek society and, and he's funded Luke to go and study and research and write this story of uh, Jesus. So it's written for this guy Theophilus, but not only for him. Significance is in the meaning of Theophilus' name. His name means lover or friend of God. Luke has written this account for those who are friends of God, for those who love God. So that anyone who is a friend of God may know the certainty of the things they have been taught. What are these things we've been taught that we're to be certain of? Well, it's hidden here in, in, in the English translation, but that word things is the same uh, as the word at the end of verse 2, the word. That's the message of the gospel, the good news of the things fulfilled by Jesus, the message of God, this living and active truth and reality. This is what Luke wants those who love God to be certain and confident in. He wants us to be certain in who Jesus is, in what Jesus has done and what he's now doing and promises to do. Yeah, it's good and accurate history, and that does matter. But that's a bit like meeting kind of the basic personal hygiene standards when you go on a date. It's kind of just assumed and bitty basic that you're going to meet that, that, that requirement. Focusing only on the historical truthfulness of this Jesus story, it's a bit like describing the best meal that you've ever had as saying, well, yeah, it was healthy and nutritious. No, it's probably true. It probably was healthy and nutritious, and that's a good thing, but... But that's not the place you start when you describe the best meal you've ever had. It's the most meaningful part of you is the amazing occasion or the incredibly expensive restaurant or the great company or, or the amazing tastes and the smells and, and the food and the drink. And that's why it's memorable and it's the best ever, isn't it? 
The thing that makes this word, these things we've been taught, this, this reality, this truth about Jesus and the things he's fulfilled, this message that Luke records, so memorable and so special, is that it is the fulfillment of all things in Christ. And so it is the fulfillment of my life in Christ. You see, this story isn't only the center of the world, it's not only the center of the universe, but it's also, this is greatly significant, it's also the center of my life and your life if you're a Christian. In fact, it is the center of all of our lives in one way or another. And it opens up this whole new way of seeing the world and living in it. If it's really true, as Luke records, that there is no other name under heaven by which people are saved, then that has a real bearing in our life and how we make our decisions around our core beliefs and our religion and, and that kind of stuff. If Jesus has fulfilled the purpose of humanity and shown us what perfect human life looks like, then that completely reshapes for us our lifestyle decisions, doesn't it? Around the reality of who he is and what we see in him. If through Jesus we're accepted and we're loved and we're forgiven and we're free, if we know we've been found in him and we've... And we've been found in him and we find ourselves, he and us and us and him, you know what I'm trying to say, then we can have a new hope and a perspective and approach in all situations. And yet so often, as Christians, so often we lack any confidence in this and in him. We doubt whether Jesus is good. We doubt whether he really loves us. We feel and think like we're not good enough like we're not worthy enough, like we don't belong, like we shouldn't be here, that we can't take hold of what he offers. We, we so often hedge our bets and mix a little bit of Jesus in with some other spirituality and superstition and, and other things to get through life. Luke says, no, hold on to. Know the certainty of the things you've been taught. I, I just want, I want to... Close with this. I want us to realize that, that, that what Luke writes is not firstly so that we know with certainty, but actually that we know the certainty. That sounds like a play on words, but there's a life-giving difference because it moves from the locus of, of our confidence from us, knowing with certainty, to, to, to the situation of our con- uh, confidence is in Jesus, knowing the certainty of the things we have been taught. It's not about how certain or confident your own belief in these things is or can be, how unwavering you are, or how you don't even have any questions or whatever else. It's not how much you can muster up in yourself, but it's about knowing the certainty in him. Certainty is in him. That this Jesus stuff is real. That he is the certain one and not me. That my confidence is in him and not me. If, if you've ever bought a house um, or a flat or something and, and you, you've used a mortgage to do that, your ability to do that, your confidence in that happening and the certainty that you're going to be able to complete that purchase it all rests on the bank, doesn't it? And the billions of pounds they've got in their account. Not your kind of 10 grand that you've saved up or, or whatever else. You couldn't do it yourself. You couldn't be certain with your, with your own money that, that you could do it. But the bank has billions and the house costs 200,000. So you're certain and you're confident and the thing happens. Well, it's like that with our faith in Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. It's not about how much we have. But he has more than enough. And here's the thing, when you know the certainty of what has been taught you about Jesus, when you know the certainty of him, 
to come to know it with certainty too. That follows on. That brings security. That brings peace. That brings stability in life. Luke's gospel is written so that we might more confidently place our hope and our trust in Jesus, that we may more surely rest in him. He's the one who fulfills all things. He's the one who holds it together. He's the one in whom we can be fulfilled, in whom we can be satisfied, in whom we can be happy as we put our confidence in him as our only hope in life and death. Let me pray, and then we'll have a a couple of minutes for questions before we sing together. Lord, we thank you for this word. These are Luke's words, but Lord, it is also your word of truth and life. Lord, these things are for our confidence and for our certainty. They're for our faith. So Lord, would you help us today to have new and fresh and deeper faith in Christ, to know that he is reliable, he is trustworthy, he is worthwhile. Lord, thank you uh, that what we're going to see as we walk through Luke's gospel, we're just going to, we're going to see how, how, how trustworthy Jesus is, how much for us he is, how good he is. Lord, build our faith in that, that we may, may stay faithful to you in all things we pray. Amen.